Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my bro. Wesley. And today we are discussing Parasite. Wes? Parasite, movie about a ne'er-do-well family who leeches onto a more affluent family in Korea so that they can do well. Uh, circumstances arise, complications complicate, and hilarity ensues. So, Dad said he really liked this movie. He said he got to see, at the very least, how people live in South Korea. It's an interesting thing, because some of my American, Americentric viewpoints, uh, some of my issues with the movie may not be valid because I don't understand how, how daily Korean life functions. What do you mean? Well, I feel like the characters in this movie are all very capable. They're chameleons. Uh, whatever task they, they venture into, and they can, they can be assimilated into the lifestyle that they want. Sort of like John Reese Davies' character in Matchpoint. They are of a different class, find themselves in the upper class, and adapt surprisingly well. And maybe that's the nature of a parasite, and thematically that works, but they're all so capable at what they're doing. You're wondering how this entire family could be destitute and searching for Wi-Fi from the pizza joint to the coffee joint across the street. And why haven't these people been able to step up before that? In that movie, however, there was the father who said that in an age where X job or whatever has, you know, 50,000 applicants or five, what, however many it was, it seems like jobs are very scarce, even for very capable people. And so maybe it was just circumstance, but the fact that they were able to settle into their roles so easily suggests to me that maybe they shouldn't be living in a basement apartment with no Wi-Fi. Yeah, I feel like this is a problem with most criminal characters is that like I always, I always think if this criminal could just apply themselves to good, Right. Like the they amount would, of effort exactly. that they apply to world domination, they could be they could make money. I think Doctor Evil in the Austin Powers movie was already super rich just because he's smart. Right. But that wasn't enough. He wanted the power. Same thing with <clears throat> our current president. You wanna go there? Nope. So they like you said, they the amount of effort they put into being bad, like imagine how they how they successful they could be legitimately if they applied it to good. And it makes me think, like with um, Walter White and Breaking Bad, that they have to want to be bad. Yeah, and maybe, the, and I don't think these these characters started out to be bad or a certain way. They were trying to get ahead, and 
you know, they were a, a close-knit, loving family, swears a lot, but they weren't bad people. Uh, they were just trying to get a leg up. And they were looking out for each other in doing so. Yeah. Was there some was there some message about how, you know, the underdog family was like so cunning and crafty and intelligent and the rich family was they were kind of so dull and simple and oblivious? Maybe. I think most people who would be watching this movie wouldn't be of the affluent uh, people with the luxury of obliviousness, right? They are, we would identify more with the uh, hard scrabble sort of enterprising and, uh, and cunning people than the aloof rich crowd who doesn't need to review movies for pennies. <laughs> That's interesting though that to think of uh, aloof, um, to think of obliviousness as a luxury. Maybe. I think that in order to do something really well, you have to know something really well. I think that people who are wildly successful are also driven and dedicated, but they're also hyper-focused on the one thing that makes, makes them successful. Elon Musk seems to be a brilliant guy, works seven days a week, 23 hours a day, maybe a little bit socially awkward, but he's so good at what he does, and he's really, really rich as a result. But does that make him a well-rounded individual? I don't know. No. Am I a well-rounded individual? No. But I can I can at least point to why he's a weirdo. You can't point to why you're a weirdo? Not on camera. But I think that the family in Parasite, the rich families, there seems to be a type that are aloof and sort of out of touch because they don't have to, they're not galvanized by the struggle of figuring things out to make things work. Everything just works. Right, because, because money irons it out, that's yep. what they said. It would be awesome. What? Being rich. And have money iron out all your problems? Yeah. To have in addition to the money, the wherewithal to know how to use it and, and realize what problems are being solved and see how it changes my life as opposed to being born into luxury. So if your car is not spotless, uh, you, you fly into a rage. So you mean because you weren't born into money, you can actually appreciate money? If I had it, yeah, I think so. Didn't, doesn't someone act, like literally say money irons things out in the movie? I don't remember. It was, it was in Korean. Right. <laughs> and you watched this one during the day. I did. Mm-mm. Why do you do that? You can't yeah. watch movies during the day. There was an era of, or there was an era of, of suspense and drama because I technically watched it in the office on monitors facing away from people to finish it up because it's a long ass movie and it it, uh, it encroached on my work day because someone needed to record this today. Well, someone's got to crack the whip. Okay. I did watch this movie at night, and it was sufficiently eerie and. Uh, always more enjoyable because Brian cannot stand tension, cannot sit for tension, was jumping out of his seat because he was so on edge about them being discovered. Like when they were all carrying on and drinking and spilling chips all over the floor and getting drunk and laying on the couches, he was like jumping out of his skin, freaking out. Part of what concerns me about this movie is there's a tonal shift that happens um, where I was really invested in them uh, tr kind, kind of sinking into their roles and, and not being found out. But by the time they were all in there and having a good time and drinking beer, something changed. And it became irreverent and sort of a clue-like. They might as well have put the Benny Hill music to it. 
right, at some points where they were so close to being discovered. And I didn't feel the drama. I felt the silliness of it um, because there, there weren't really stakes at that point and what would happen. Means being found out? Yeah, they'd have to go back to folding pizza boxes if they got caught um, because they, they, they didn't stand to lose everything because they had nothing to lose, right? They were sitting around enjoying food and having a picnic and if they were found out, the party's over. And that's kind of it. Were they gonna have their luxury cars repossessed or their houses foreclosed upon? No, they were just gonna, the hustle would be over and they would move on to the next hustle, presumably. Okay, maybe it was just like the awkwardness of the, of the aw awkwardness of being found out that Brian was reacting to. But you know what my problem with this movie is? What's that? My big qualm with this movie is that I was ahead of it almost the entire time. And because it's, a it's such a long movie, it got to be a little wearing at times. Such a long movie. That being said, I couldn't have seen the basement coming for a thousand years. That's because it, it doesn't have to be set up or foreshadowed, but it has to have impact when it lands. It needs to be a success rock or something when it lands, and it needs to crush your skull. And I don't know that it did that. When the door opened, I was like, what the hell? And I don't know that that, it wasn't a world of intrigue that we were entering. It wasn't the temple of doom. It was, but that wasn't, but they weren't Indiana Jones and they had no reason to be in a secret underground bunker, you know? Who didn't have a reason? Any of those people or this movie for that matter. It was so weird and so outside the box, literally, that it, I, I didn't, I don't know. I thought it was, I, but it, I mean, in a way, it was the one moment. It was, it was unexpected, in such a way that I felt like it, 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 it did something for the movie, which could have been boring. I guess it kept it from not being boring, but that door opened, and that housekeeper was reintroduced, and did everybody. Obviously, the characters in that basement are essential to the the end of the movie, but. Did that dude make this a better movie? That dude. The the sad dude. The headbanger. The, the mole. Well, you said. You mean you said it yourself. Like, without him, there's not an ending. Yeah, but was it the right ending? Would it have been the best ending for this movie? Well, if they were simply found out and went back to folding pizza boxes, it would have been the boring, unpredictable movie that I thought it was going to end up being. But okay, so that's what sucked about this movie for me. Tonally, it was, it changed gears or changed directions, became a different kind of movie. But I went into this movie, the, the title suggests a horror movie. And I went into this movie expecting things to happen so that when the dude is puking outside, I'm like, that dude's a zombie and they're all about to be zombies. How is this going to play out? That wasn't the case. Um, and so it was a long, slow burn. And I almost felt like it was a Saturday Night Live parody or a YouTube parody of a a non-horror movie cut and rescored in a trailer to look like a horror movie. So I thought, well, maybe this isn't a horror movie. Obviously, I got what the Parasite uh, title referenced, but I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. And when it dropped, it was like a Birkenstock. And I was like, this is where we're going with this movie? Fine. But it was beautifully shot. It was atmospheric. We were in a foreign land, or at least I was, because I don't understand the life of the daily life of a South Korean. And so I was waiting for things to happen. And when the monster showed up, it was chunk, you know? Not chunk. It was slu uh, 
<laughs> it was sloth from the Goonies. It wasn't the the one that I was expecting. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, tell me, right? But it was meant to be serious. And, and some, some of the more serious aspects I felt veered into slapstick territory. I, I, I came in and said, okay, this is in a way a Korean upstairs, downstairs, Gosford Park, Downton Abbey kind of vibe. The, you know, the poor, the dichotomy between the poor and the rich and the class division and how one transcends those and how they're all people at a base level and also there's slapstick and zany murder and comedy. Slapstick, really? I mean, they, I thought they all played it pretty real and I thought that the comedy was in the truth of it. Like, that these, I mean, yeah, there may be a little bit of caricatures of themselves but like I don't know this the whole thing you know maybe minus the massacre at the birthday party seemed pretty plausible in a way in a weird way yeah but plausibility isn't credibility even though it's plausible I don't know that it's believable or that it enabled my suspension of disbelief so you were out of it I wasn't out of it but the turns were so abrupt and strange no you can't deny this is a strange movie you know what else i didn't see coming what the flooding of the basement home yeah like he was standing on the stairs and the water was pouring around his ankles mm -hmm. and he was like all in despair and i was like why is he standing there and then they went home and their entire house was flooded with sewage and i felt like the only thing that you could do in that situation was sit on your exploding toilet and smoke a cigarette yeah and so as ridiculous that it was it was it was totally believable it was totally believable but that was a very expensive shot the whole uh, i don't know if you know this but the entire uh, entire set was fabricated that entire house was built as a set the entire the basement their basement apartment was a set and the street outside the neighborhood in which they lived was entirely a set because you can't flood a real basement apartment you can't you know so they built that specifically obviously to shoot in for the ease of shooting but also specifically to flood it and I, I kind of glossed over the flood, or I almost didn't remember it. Um, and it seemed to make a statement, but I don't know what that statement was. Basement flooded. They were at their wit's end, I guess. They're, maybe they couldn't go back to their abode, or their meager possessions were. But it seemed like they had already moved on from the basement. They were in higher society. When he was looking at cars so that he could drive the, the, the husband around, I thought that they were shopping for their own family car because they had gotten into a position where they finally had some money and not only got Wi-Fi, but a car. I thought that they had moved on, so when their home was destroyed, I wondered why they were so put out about it. It seems like they would have gathered their stuff and left. And if this was a condition of Korean life or where when you uh, are least prepared for it, um, you know, something goes wrong and you lose everything that you valued in try trying to strive for more or something, the message might have been lost on me for a very expensive shot uh, that I almost forgot about. I think that it was metaphorical for, their, for them being back in the shit. Okay. But they didn't have to be. They can grab their stuff and go back. No, because they just sneaked out of the house. And maybe when they go back to their old life, maybe they see how shitty it is. I mean, I think they had to be reminded of where they came from. And then, and it also set the stage for when they returned the next day, 
pretending that there was nothing wrong. By the way, where did she get that pretty clean white dress after her entire house was flooded? Where did they, any of them get all the stuff? You know, she had her hair done, makeup done impeccably. They had all the clothes they needed for the job interview. And maybe they liquidated all their assets so they could all fit their roles perfectly, but it seemed very pat and convenient. Right. Especially considering if they had those means or that wherewithal that they could get regular jobs. Yes, you would have thought they could have opened their own pizza company, their own coffee company, their own driving service or whatever, but maybe it's a world of referrals. Again, I can't say, why don't you pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, but it seems like they're capable and maybe the, the, the world in which they live was simply not set up for everybody to succeed. Maybe the jobs are too scarce. I don't know, hard for me to say. But as an American, it strained, my, it strained its credibility a little bit for me. And some of the movie strained in believability across the board for me, which made it difficult. So I want to get into the um, reception aspect of this movie. Uh, not the movie on its merits itself, but how it's perceived. So are you aware of anything about this movie other than having watched it? It won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Now, it's the first Korean movie to do it. It just so happens uh, and Bong Joon-ho won Best Director at Cannes, and it, it just so happens that this movie lands on the 100th anniversary of Korean cinema. I'm really happy for them. No Korean movie has ever won the Palme d'Or, obviously, and this is the first one. It's a landmark cinematic achievement for Korea. Um, at Cannes, it got an eight-minute standing ovation after the fact. Eight minutes. Do you know how long that is? Do you know how difficult it is for me to believe that? I'm going to start a timer right now for eight minutes and I'll let you know when it goes off. That's how long. The movie just ended. People st stood up and now they're applauding. Here's eight minutes. Okay, let's talk about other stuff. Um, it was received really, really well. And it's the only reason, frankly, that a movie from Korea would land here. Otherwise, they would get a nomination at the Academy Awards for Best Foreign Film. After it got some recognition for the nomination, it might be made available on DVD. But it's here and it's everywhere because of Khan. Otherwise, we, we might not have seen it for years, right? So it's here for a reason and people love it, but did they love it that much? Was it the best movie you've ever seen out of Korea? Maybe out of Korea, but was it so good that it needed to be seen right now that it would have worldwide acclaim and get an eight minute standing ovation at, at Cannes? Or is it just a slow year for movies? And in fact, a slow decade for movies. Is this the best that we have to offer, Korean cinema aside? Is this the movie that should have won Palme d'Or? Did it, did it all the pieces fall in line in a, in a way that you loved it and it's regarded as a classic for all time? We talk about this a lot. I mean, do you expect movies to be made in a vacuum by people without nationalities or genders or um, creeds? Like, movies are, are a part of time and space and people's identities and you know, it can't be separated from the fact that it's Korean and it's from this time and movie history and all that kind of stuff. Like, what would make this movie... Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yes. You're trying to say that this film shouldn't be judged on its vacuum, uh, on its merits in a vacuum. You should take cultural influence and and uh, identity into consideration. Yeah. But you but also see saying, movies. You're saying that it, it's, it got a leg up because it is a landmark film for Korean cinema historically and in terms of its performance at Cannes. Like, yeah, like other, and we wouldn't see it otherwise. Yeah, so. 
how is that a, like a bad thing or how does that reflect on the movie itself at all? I can't get into this too much politically like affirmative action or whatever. I believe in fairness and, and certainly, unfortunately, because it's this kind of movie and it gets a certain amount of exposure that it wouldn't, that other movies may not get, it comes to our attention where it might not otherwise. That said, now that it's in our forum, you have to judge a movie based on its merits alone. You can take into account some of the things, well, that doesn't resonate with me because I'm not a Korean, I'm, I'm an American. You have to make some allowances for that, and I think I did. I don't understand Korean life, and so some aspects of this movie may be, for lack of a better word, foreign to me. That said, now it's in my playing field and I get to judge it critically and fairly on, an, on a level playing field. On a was, universal human experience level yes, playing field. And as, but more specifically as a filmmaking experience and it wasn't the best movie I've ever seen. It wasn't the best movie of the year in fact. Maybe it was the best Korean movie I've ever seen. I'm not really sure. But does this movie deserve the critical acclaim that seems to be piled on it because of its cultural identity? No. Was it a good movie? Yeah. Was it a great movie? No. Was it, we're at, we, so we haven't even been applauding for half the time they've been applauding. <laughs> it's I'm serious, people are seconds. still applauding. But I think it was a simple movie. I think characters move through this film into new circumstances, obstacles arise as they arise with little foreshadowing, and when they do, they're dealt with in a way that maybe strains credibility at times. Um, it just, so something happens, how they, oh, I guess that's how they addressed that. Uh, that's not how I would have addressed that. And maybe it might not have been as believable as I would have preferred, but it's a simple start to finish movie that doesn't have a lot of nuance or foreshadowing along the way. It's very cause and effect. It's very predictable, and I think that there was some beauty in that simplicity, and I think there was some real sadness and gravity in its, um, in its message, or like the dad's message, like when the dad basically was telling his son that there's no hope in this world, or that any expectation from what life can give you is your bane, basically, like was like, sad and very simple and I, I don't know felt like it really hit me like really rocked me yeah great messages in this movie uh, a lot of serious themes and also they were running around hiding under couches and tables and stuff and people were falling down the stairs and bonking their heads and he was like making out with the dad's daughter in it's the just bedroom awkward and this is going to be a deep dive, and I'll skim the surface, but there is a Asian predilection towards creating movies in a, quote, uh, an American style. They, people who grew up watching Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes movies, and like Jackie Chan, he loves Charlie Chaplin and, and, and musical cinema and all, all that good stuff, but he also loves Slapstick and Bugs Bunny, and movies like Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer, and these movies where they combine cartoonish elements with serious movies or com even comedies or whatever. It's a distinctly non-American style of filmmaking that some people really love. Of course, some people are idiots, um, and for me, that never works. It immediately devalues any serious themes that come about. So I tried to separate that in this movie, where I can watch the movie for its more serious themes and enjoy it, and just sort of smirk 
at the slapsticky humor that's going on. It doesn't quite reach that fever pitch of hilarity, but it's definitely silly. It's definitely silly in a, in a negative way, like not in, an, not in an entertaining, but an annoying way. For me, it was. And I think that was to the movie's detriment, despite being having all the pieces of a really good drama, the sort of goofier elements seemed out of place. But that seems to be a style of filmmaking with which I'm not overly accustomed. Wow, you're a womp womp. Yeah. So oh. we're, we're still applauding. We're still, we're, we're there, like they're still going. Hands not tired or anything. Nobody has to go to the bathroom. It's a long ass movie and nobody left to pee. Everybody's still applauding, okay. Well, I mean, you know, at film festivals, people get all overexcited about stuff. People are like waiting in line for hours and like scrambling to get tickets to like movies that they would never see otherwise. Yeah, we're but. done, we're done applauding. The timer just ended, even with our camera technical difficulties, it's been eight minutes, like half an hour ago. I've been to film festivals and I've waited hours in line to see movies and I've gotten in super excited and gotten all aggressive and jockeyed for seats and all that stuff. The second that movie was over, if there was a Q&A, fine, but I'm not clapping for eight minutes straight. I'm st staying for the Q&A and then I'm bouncing across town to try to get in line for another three-hour movie with a two-hour line. So what are you doing? Are you standing there with your arms folded with a frown on your face? No, you clap. You get the message across that you show your appreciation for that movie with your hands. Maybe as they're bringing out the chairs so that they can do the Q&A and then you clap when the thing is done and you gather your stuff and go because the bathrooms are scarce. That's true. I'm just saying eight minutes strains credibility in the way that some of this movie does. I really thought you'd like this one more. I, I, you told me that I shouldn't downplay my cynicism about movies. And I did enjoy watching this movie because, again, it's beautifully shot. It's well directed. All the acting was spot on. There wasn't a false note in terms of the characters. I believed all of them and sympathized with them, both rich and poor. But there are aspects that took me out of the movie, things that were silly and maybe unnecessary. And it took away from, I think, the dramatic heft that the title and the setting and the opening implied. Now, this wasn't a period piece. This was a contemporary movie movie and people with contemporary values and problems um, with some decidedly medieval themes worked in, kind of shoehorned in, I felt, to further a plot that maybe didn't need to be furthered. And your rating is? So I have a four-tiered rating system. The worst ones, should I see this movie? The answer is nope. Just above that is uh, whatever, maybe, I guess if you have time or it's in front of you. Just passing muster would be all right. And then, of course, there are the great movies, the ones you should totally see. This movie falls into the all right category. So many good things about this movie, but so many things that prevented it from being an amazing movie, where the movie in its two and a half hour runtime trips over its own feet. It was a, it was a good movie. It was an all right movie. It wasn't one of the classics for me. Would you watch it again? Uh, I would watch bits of it again. There's no way I'm loading that disc and sitting enwrapped through that long-ass movie again. All the way through. Definitely parts I want to see again. Sloth, not one of those parts. What do you think? Good. I thought it was good. I thought it was complicated. I thought my feelings were a little complicated about it, what, what with being ahead of it the majority of the time. But ultimately, I thought it was... Um, uh, triumph. I don't know. I was maybe I was a little colored by dad because he was like, 
kind of into it and I was like, hmm, interesting, like that this could appeal to, um, I don't know, I guess they, they're kind of like, with the, with the volume of uh, entertainment that they consume, they're kind of like pseudo armchair experts themselves. Yeah. Mom and dad. Also, their, their uh, perception of movies is colored by their experiences. Right. Um, what I got most out of, uh, out of Parasite was how well a possibly boring movie could be shot, even if the material doesn't hold up or sustain the movie all the way through. And I really, I was introduced to Ramdan, and I really want to make it. I think that you can kind of appreciate from the filmmakers that they didn't overcomplicate what, did, what didn't need to be complicated as a film. So that's it for Parasite. If you want to email us about whatever, do so, or whatever movies at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 818-835-0473. I'm Iris. Thanks for listening. And uh, I'm here with who? Wesley. Goodbye. Bye. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Electricast. Electricast.